Am I on now? Yeah. Oh, operator error. I used to work in that department too. That's really sad. That's why I don't work there anymore. Hey, a couple things. Yes, yes, you laugh, you laugh. Um, it's the truth. Um, hey, a couple things I want to bring to your attention. I know that you just heard about them on the video, but things I want to highlight really quickly. Ladies, for you specifically, um, the Sisterhood event is coming up next weekend. It's in place of our normal Mother's Day brunch, and this is your last weekend to buy tickets. Two things that were not said on the video that I think are really cool and really important. One is Pastor Chris is actually going to be here at the Lone Tree Campus sharing an incredible word for all of you ladies. And the second one is, is that all of you women who come and attend the brunch get an opportunity to walk away with a gift. So who doesn't want a gift and a, a really cool word from Pastor Chris and a time just to hang out with each other. So ladies, make sure on your way out that you grab tickets to that sisterhood event. They're $10 a piece. And you can get them at Connect Grocer, but you do have to get them in order to come. Um, the second thing is, is we've been talking about Life Day a whole lot. And as you guys came in, you sat on your seats. Each one of you saw one of these orange wristbands, right? So I want you guys to grab that wristband really quickly. I want you to look at it because I want you to think about something. Pastor John, last weekend during his message, if you guys were here, talked about the fact that we only want to do this if this is what our church is wanting to do. You know, we feel like that God is leading us to do um, a life day service, um, not just the 5K. The 5K is going off with a, without a hitch. We got hundreds. We actually have over 300 people now running and participating in the 5K, which we think is incredible. Those are all JFC family um, and friends. It's going to be a really cool deal. We're excited for that. But specifically, um, on Memorial Day weekend, on Saturday the 24th, we're going to be having a service that's one service for all of our people, all in one day. We talked about it. We've been sharing it with you guys, but now it's your turn uh, and your chance to be able to make a commitment to that. So on everybody's seat, you guys have had one of these orange wristbands put there, and here's what we're asking. If you are planning on attending our 11 a.m. service on Saturday, May 24th at Shea Stadium for our Life Day, we want you to take this band, one per person in your family, kids included, with you and enjoy it. If you are not going to go, don't feel bad or convicted or condemned or any of that kind of stuff, but please leave your band on your seat because here's what it's going to do for us. It's going to help us understand and know what is the buy-in from our congregation of people. We're only going to be doing this this weekend. You can't come back next weekend and get a band. So if you you know, Pastor John last weekend said, hey, let's, uh, let's come this weekend and try to make a commitment to this. So if you really uh, are bought into this and you feel like the Lord's leading this and that he's in this and it's inspired and you're excited about it and whatnot, grab a band, one for every person in your family. If you have kids downstairs and there's not enough bands around you to grab, there will be some available um, on your way out. So make sure that you grab those. But again, if you are not going, please do us a favor and leave those on your chair. Um, it would really help us make sure that we get an appropriate count um, so that we can be aware and ready for the amount of people um, to, on that Life Day weekend, specifically for that service at 11 a.m. So um, if you guys could do that for us, it'd be a huge blessing. Uh, it would help us out a ton. Plus you get a free gift in it, you know? Uh, I assume I'll probably find a few of these on Craigslist that I could scoop back up here after this weekend. Um, but, you know, they're probably not worth a ton in that sense. But yeah, we're excited about it. Um, and we think it's a really fun way to just be able to continue to move forward in what we feel like God is saying to do. Um, hey, we are in the second week of To Be Continued. This is the second and final week. As you know, we went through a whole six-week series talking about um, leading up to Easter, talking about Jesus and all the things that happened in his life, all the things that led up into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We celebrated Easter, but here's what we felt as a teaching team, as an executive leadership team, as a staff. We felt like the Lord was saying, you know what? It's time to talk, talk about what happens after Jesus, you know? Because obviously all of that's true and all of it, that is very important, but we have this whole book of Acts, which we're gonna talk about here in just a few minutes, that talks about now what does it mean for us that all of these these things have happened. So we're going to wrap that up here with the second part of to be continued. But before we do so, I just want to open in prayer. So if you guys would just pray with me. 
Father, we are so appreciative of your many blessings. Lord, you have opened heaven to us. And we are just so thankful for everything that you do and have done for us, Lord God. God, as we take some time here this weekend to just uh, engage with you, Lord God, I pray that truly what happens is that your Holy Spirit would come in a very mighty and powerful way, that you would come and speak, that you would come and share your heart and your desire for each and every one of your children in this place, Lord God. Um, And maybe it's a little bit different for each person, specifically what you wanna say to them. So I pray that each one of us would open our hearts, Lord God. And as we do that, that we would just engage with you and everything that you do. Father, we love you, we praise you, we we thank you that we can even come to you, Lord God, in worship, just lifting you high above all others and we give you this service in this time. Your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Hey, last week, Pastor John did an incredible job. He taught about um, Peter. And if you guys missed the message, you need to go back and listen to it because it's really cool. He talked about Peter and he compared and contrasted Peter before the resurrection of Jesus and then the Peter that we get to read about in the Bible after the resurrection of Jesus and how this whole change and transformation in his life happened specifically because of what happened with Jesus being resurrected, with the Holy Spirit being given to him. And so this weekend, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be wrapping up, like I said, um, the book of Acts. Now, obviously, the book of Acts, if you know much about the Bible, um, it's, it's a book that talks about early church history. The book of Acts is actually, um, it's widely accepted that it's written by, the, uh, the, by Luke, who's the same guy who wrote the gospel, Luke. Um, he was a doctor. He was a very detailed person. He's a person who walked with Jesus. He's also a person who helped start the early church. Um, the book of Acts was written by that same Luke. Um, and so it's a very detailed book, and it talks about a lot of things about the early church. But the, we, what we really felt like um, God was saying for us to point out this weekend was specifically this that on Easter we focus, and rightfully so, on the fact that Jesus died for us. But he didn't just die for us, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, that he was raised to life again three days. And he has saved us from the pit of hell. He has opened the doors of heaven for us because of what he did, because of his sacrifice, and because of the fact that he was resurrected. On Easter, we celebrate the fact that we have heaven. And that's an incredible thing. That's a great, blessed thing. He saved us from our own destruction. He saved us from our own demise. He saved us from our own self. He saved us from our own sin. But many times we stop there and we forget the fact that he has not only saved us from these things, but the book of Acts reminds us that he has saved us for some things as well. He didn't just save us from eternal damnation, eternal condemnation, He saved us so that, yes, one day we can be then and there with him in heaven, but also so that here and now, our days on this earth will be used for his glory and for his honor and for his praise and for engagement with him. So the book of Acts talks all about this and it paints an incredible picture. And I just wanted to, if you have not read the book of Acts or if maybe you don't know a whole lot about it, I just want to paint a very quick picture for you um, as to what's going on right now. Okay, so... We know that Jesus has his ministry, that he walks through his life, that he spends three and a half years doing this. He walks with a group of 12 men very closely in relationship doing his ministry. And as he does this, he's continually reminding these 12 guys, hey, here's the deal. You know, eventually I'm gonna have to leave you. Eventually I'm gonna have to leave you. Eventually I'm gonna be killed and be taken away, but I have to do this. This is what I've been sent here to do. And through the three and a half years, his disciples are like, okay, yeah, that's great, whatever. But then all of a sudden it actually happens. He's arrested, he's killed, he's crucified on the cross, he's buried. And the disciples walk away and they're sad because what Jesus had been telling them all this time, they find out to actually be true. And they're like, what am I supposed to do now? 
Well, what's great is three days later, after Jesus was crucified and after he was buried, he was resurrected back to life. And we got to celebrate that on Easter. It's not the fact that Jesus just died on the cross, but it's the fact that he rose to life again, that you have life, that you have eternal life in heaven given to you and to me. But here's something really interesting. The disciples gather together and they huddle together and Jesus shows back up after he's been resurrected and he comes back into their presence and joy is instilled back in their lives. They're like, oh my goodness, I can breathe again. He's here. Well, if you know anything about what happens during this time, Jesus does some more ministry. He walks with the disciples for a little bit of time, but guess what happens? He leaves again. And what do the disciples do? We catch the disciples in the very beginning of the book of Acts, locking themselves in a room again. And they huddle together and they're like, shoot, I thought he was coming back. And then he came back and then he left again. This time he wasn't killed. He went up to heaven, but they locked themselves in a room and they said, what are we going to do now? And so they sat there and surely they sulked and surely they cried and surely they worried and surely they spent time together saying, now what? Jesus is gone again and I'm not sure he's coming back this time. And something absolutely astonishing happened to them. And we find in the second chapter of the book of Acts, what we call the day of Pentecost. The second chapter of the book of Acts, if you don't know what happens there, is the disciples are huddled in this room and they're sulking and they're worrying, all this stuff happens. And all of a sudden, the ground begins to shake and things start to go a little bit haywire and tongues of fire come down from heaven. They land upon their heads and they start speaking in different languages and things start going crazy. But the thing that I think that we're supposed to focus on through this process is not just the power that happened in that moment, the day of Pentecost, but the fact of what happened after because of the day of Pentecost. And what happened was that those 12 men who locked themselves inside of a room, busted that door down and ran into the crowd of people that were out there and started proclaiming the name of Jesus high above all others. We saw this transition of these men that were so timid and so worried and so fearful and like, what in the world am I supposed to do now? We see this transition in the book of, the second chapter of the book of Acts happen in their lives. They become men who are worried, who have all of these burdens that they bear and that they carry saying, I can't do this without Jesus. And all of a sudden in the second chapter of Acts, something changes in their lives. And that is that they are given the Holy Spirit and they run out and the rest of the book of Acts that we get to read, and I wanna challenge every one of you to read this, the rest of the book of Acts that we get to read is all about the authority that God has given them, the supernatural ability that God has placed on them because of the Holy Spirit to go out and to preach his message of life, to preach the truth of Jesus. And we get to see supernatural things take place in their life. You see, these ordinary men were changed to be extraordinary men, but the thing that changed them, the, transform the transformation in their lives came not because of any studying that they did, not because of even the time that they spent with Jesus, but the transformation in their lives happened because the Holy Spirit came to them and gave them everything that they needed to be able to be men of God and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Now, as I read this and I, I think about this in my own life personally, I, I think, was that my experience with Jesus? It was my experience with Jesus and my experience with the Holy Spirit. Was it one as, that was transformational like it was here in the disciples' lives? Was it like where I, uh, I recognized what had happened and I can accept it in my mind, but did it truly change my life to where I became a bold witness for Christ? And I wanna to submit to you, if you've had an encounter with Jesus, 
If you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, how does your life look different today than it did before you had that encounter? And I think that that's where we wanna go this weekend. We're teaching this across all of our campuses as campus pastors. We're talking about the fact that God has not just saved us from the pit of hell. God has saved us so that we can be his hands and his feet. And that is incredible. In fact, God has saved us for two things that we really felt like were really important that we pulled out of the book of Acts in the first and the second chapter. And the first thing that we thought was extremely important, we said that God has saved us for engagement with him. God has not just saved us for heaven, but he has saved us for an engaging relationship with him every day. I thought about this illustration. Um, I actually thought about this. I had an opportunity to go teach in YWAM recently in the Dominican Republic. And this illustration came to my mind and I thought it was really cool about the Holy Spirit. And it, it really has to do with, um, with loudness of volume. And it, it, it boils down to this. For the sake of time, I think all of our lives, we wrestle with giving attention to certain things appropriately. There's so many things that are vying for our attention, right? There's so many things that are yelling at us and screaming at us saying, give me attention, give me attention, give me attention. And I think for the most part, we probably can all believe that it's true in our lives. The fact that the loudest, the thing that has the loudest volume in our lives is quite often the thing that gets the most attention from us. The thing that has the loudest volume in our lives whether it be our job, whether it be money, whether it be family, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a spouse, whether it be children, whether it be church, whether it be God, whatever has the loudest volume in our life, whatever we allow to have the loudest volume in our life gets our attention the most. Well, I recognized this just recently um, at my house. I actually laid down to go to bed and I fell asleep. And if you're like me, um, I like to have a little bit of background noise when I'm going to sleep. It just helps me. You know, they actually sell noise machines that you could put in your room because it helps you go to sleep. It helps you kind of focus on something that's relaxing, that's really simple. So I like to go to sleep with something, a bit of noise. And right now we're kind of in that weird in-between place where I can't always have the fan on because it's a little bit cold or, you know, maybe it's hot. Who knows what it's going to be today because it's Colorado. Um, but the reality is, is sometimes I can have the fan on, sometimes I can't have the fan on. So normally I use the fan for that noise, but this, this night I didn't have the fan on. So I went to sleep and I woke up and I was like half awake, right? I'm in like barely half awake state, but I realized it's completely quiet in the house. There's no noise except that there was a TV left on downstairs and it wasn't very loud. It was very faint, but it was the loudest thing that I could hear. And because I could hear it, and because it's the loudest thing that was in the house, all of my attention immediately went to that television. And in this half awake state, I found myself being unable to go back to sleep because I was so focused on the television being on downstairs. So what did I do? I turned the fan on. <laughs> because as, I, as soon as I turned the fan on, the noise of the television went away and I could focus on something that was rhythmic and helped me go to sleep. You see, the problem was not the fact that the television was on downstairs because it was very, very faint, but the problem was the fact that there was no other noise to help drown out the noise of the television. That was the loudest thing, so I gave all of my attention to that thing, and that thing was driving me nuts because I was like, I can't go to sleep now. <coughs> but as soon as I turned the fan on, I was able to go back to sleep because I was able to focus my attention on the thing that had the loudest volume. Well, I think that in our lives, we probably often struggle with the fact that while Jesus wants to have engagement with us, while he wants us to enter into relationship with him, there's so many things in this world that quite often have a louder volume in our lives than he does. 
There's many things that are screaming at us that they want our attention, that they need our attention. And many times those levels of volume supersede and are elevated above the level of volume that we allow Jesus to have in our lives. And for me, that's a very challenging thought because I have a responsibility to engage with Jesus. Jesus has given me everything that he has. He has given me his life. He has given me my life. He has given me new life. And part of my responsibility is not to just accept what Jesus has done by giving me heaven and opening the doors to heaven, but it's to engage with him and to give him the loudest volume in my life. And whether that means turning the volume down on other things in my life, or whether that means cranking the volume up for him so that it can drown everything else in my life out, it's my responsibility to engage with him and give him the loudest volume in my life. And in the book of Acts, we catch the disciples doing this. You see, Jesus saved us for relationship with himself. And in Acts chapter one, we talked a little bit about this last weekend, but the disciples get together. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. It's Acts chapter one, verses 13 and 14. It's in your notes. It says, those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And then it says this. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see, the disciples recognized, even before the day of Pentecost happened, their responsibility at that moment in time was just to get together and to engage with Jesus. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't have a clue what's gonna happen, but let's lock ourselves in this room and let's try to engage with Jesus to figure it out. They recognized that there was this gathering together and coming to Jesus in prayer, coming to God in prayer that was so important because they needed to give God the loudest volume in their lives. Well, so the story continues and we get into Acts chapter two, verses 17 and 18. And here's what we see. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Every, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what's happening the disciples have engaged with Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls down upon their lives. They continue to engage with Jesus. And because of their engagement with Jesus, he is just downloading his authority and his power into their lives. So they're walking around now and they're just completely full of this life. Not because there's not other things in life happening that they are not necessarily valuable um, because there's things obviously going around in all of our lives at all times, at all moments, there's things that are pulling for our attention. But for them, they decided, you know what? The most important thing right now is for me to engage with Jesus. And because they were engaging with Jesus, we saw the spirit fall down upon them and give them the authority Amen. that they walked with. Now I wanna to propose to you that Christ wants to do the same thing for you. That when we read the book of Acts, we are, yes, removed in time and in place, but we are not removed in the spirit and the desire that God has to do the same thing in our lives. God is looking for people that are willing to engage with him and people that are willing to engage with him, he's willing to give and pour out his spirit upon their lives just like he did the disciples in the book of Acts. We were saved not only for heaven, and from hell, but we were saved for an engaging relationship with Jesus. Once we engage with Jesus, and I think that it is very important that we need to do this first. I think that this is a one-step, two-step kind of process. We need to engage with Jesus first. But after we engage with Jesus, we need to be available to him. We have been saved not only to engage with Jesus, because you can engage with Jesus all day long. You can lock yourself in a closet and engage with Jesus, 
right? You can lock yourself in a house and you can read the Bible and you can pray and you can watch TBN and you can, you know, praise on up in your own house by yourself. But if all you're doing is engaging with Jesus, you're missing part of the process. You're missing part of what he's called us to do. Now, I would assume that everybody in this room has probably ridden a bicycle, right? I hope you've ridden a bicycle. Most of us, at least, have ridden a bicycle, right? Those are those things with two wheels and a couple pedals. Okay, so here's something that's really interesting, a thought that came into my mind. Bicycles are created the way that they are for a reason. Bicycles have two wheels and they have two pedals because they need two wheels and they need two pedals, right? In order to function appropriately, a bicycle needs two wheels and two pedals. Now, I want you to think about riding a bicycle. I don't know, maybe it's been years and years and years since you've ridden a bicycle. Maybe you rode your bicycle to church right now. Um, I have no idea how long it's been, but I want you to picture yourself riding a bicycle. When you ride a bicycle, you push one pedal and the other one comes up and you push another pedal and the other one comes up. And to get that bicycle going, you have to use both pedals, right? You have to push one, you have to push the other, you have to push one, you have to push the other, you have to push one, push the other. You have to alternate pedals. Now, I want you to imagine now riding a bicycle with one pedal. If you had a bicycle that only had one pedal, you probably would tell me my bicycle does not work appropriately, right? Now, when you were a kid, you probably tried to do this, because I tried to do this when I was a kid, ride a bicycle with one pedal. You normally do it, though, once you've already started going, right? You try to continue the process to keep going, riding your bicycle. But if you've ever tried to ride a bicycle with one pedal, starting from a position with no momentum and trying to get going up a hill, you're going to recognize that a bicycle has two pedals for a reason, because it needs them. (laughs) Well, here's the reality of the situation. Just like riding a bicycle with one pedal would be foolish, as is the relationship of a believer with Christ if all they do is engage with him, but they are never available to him to do his work. You see, we have a twofold responsibility in relationship with Christ. And that twofold responsibility is this. We have to know the word, we have to engage with Jesus, but we also have to do the word. It's not enough to just engage with Jesus, to just memorize the Bible, to just spend time in prayer, to just raise your hands in praise, but to never actually be available to him, to be used for him and by him. You see, we are built kind of like a bicycle. We're to engage with Jesus and we're to be available to him. We're to engage with Jesus and we're to be available to him. We're to engage with Jesus and we're to be available to him. We're not supposed to just engage, 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 and never make our lives available to him to use. And we're never supposed to say, hey, God, I'm available to you, but never actually engage with him and spend time. You see, there's a twofold process that goes on here. And just like a bicycle, we, as believers, are responsible to walk that out in relationship with him. So what does that look like in our lives then, practically? Well, I think first, to be available to Jesus means that you are in community, This church in particular is probably your community. It's at least part of your community. You see, the book of Acts talks all about the early community, the early body of believers gathering together and spending time together and all of the amazing things that happened there. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we get to read about this early church gathering together and the amazing things that happened because of the community, the availability that these people had corporately with each other. And it says this, It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Then it says this, I underline this. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then again, 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, because of this, we've decided to have church now seven days a week. We want to encourage you guys to join together to sell everything that you have and come to church every day. Listen, while we read this and we're removed and we're like, that's crazy. They're spending every single day together. They're getting together. They're selling everything they have. They're giving it to the poor and whatnot. This is what was necessary to get the church going. When we read the book of Acts, this is what was necessary to get the church going. Well, the church has been established and now we are the church. And the church is not just a building and the church is not just a facility and the church is not just a name. It's not Jubilee Fellowship Church and it's not four locations across the South Denver metro area. The church is the body of believers that sit in this room and sit in the room of Cherry Hills Community Church up the road and sit in the room across the street with the Baptist Church. The church are we and we are the church. And God has not just saved us so that we can get to heaven and then we go lock ourselves in a room and engage with him. But he says, I want you to be available to me. But in order to be available to me, I need you to be in community with other people. Because when you're a community, I can do so many more things through you. And that's why we exist. And that's why the church is here. And the encouragement is, look, our goal is not to just continue to build our church and get more people. Our goal is to build disciples, people who love Jesus with their whole heart, who are willing to come in here and say, you know what? I'm going to engage with Jesus on a weekend, especially, and I'm going to open my life and offer it to him and anything that he wants. And that's what he's looking for is people who are willing to do that. And that's who these disciples were. These men that were ordinary men that changed the world, changed it not because of anything that was special about them, but because everything that was special about him, that they were willing to recognize it wasn't just about heaven. It was about their lives on this earth, that Jesus wanted them to engage with him and he wanted them to be available to him. But it doesn't just stop at the church either. It continues into the community that we live in every day. All of us have a community outside of this church. At least I hope you do. Some of you have a community at, at work. Many of you have a community at work. Some of you have a community at home. Some of you have a community in your neighborhood. We all have relationships. Not all of our relationships are gonna be inside this church and not all of our relationships hopefully are with people who are what we call believers, who people who have accepted Jesus Christ. We have been given a responsibility as his children, as his hands and his feet to engage with the world around us. Sometimes that means coming into relationship with somebody who doesn't know him. But there's something absolutely incredible that we read about in the book of Acts, and then I'm going to read it out of Luke and Peter. That happens when we do this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, we hear about this Peter, this timid man, the guy that we talked about last week, and Pastor John talked about all last week, and we hear about this Peter that was so timid, that was all of a sudden changed. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Back up really quickly. Why is he saying that? Because the day of Pentecost happens, tongues of fire fall on their heads. They're speaking out in languages that they don't even know. And people are like, these guys are drunk. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. These guys are not drunk. These guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's jump forward just a little bit. Verses 40 and 41. After Peter 
shares this message. He says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and this is amazing, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The church grew 3,000 people in an instance. And it was not because Peter had this incredible sermon that he'd been planning for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was because these men engaged with the Holy Spirit and decided, you know what? I'm just gonna be available. And that's what Jesus is looking for in our lives as well. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. As they come up here, thought that there was a really cool way for us to conclude this message, and that was this. I have, um, my wife and I have six kids, as you guys know, and our fourth one is a boy. He's three years old. And he has this, like, agenda to be the man in charge. (laughs) So he constantly, in multiple situations and scenarios, anytime we have to leave a group of kids by themselves, whether if you're walking out of the room or you're just saying, like, hey, go play or whatnot, my son constantly comes back. He's three years old, I remind you. He constantly comes back as you are leaving his presence. And he asks, so who's in charge? Am I in charge? Because he wants to be in charge of the situation, the scenario. Okay, so there started to be this process that happened that my wife would, would every time that she um, would walk away from the kids for any reason, that she would appoint one of the children to be in charge in that situation, that scenario. And they love it, right? Technically, they're not in charge, but they love to be the boss. So anytime Marcus was, had the opportunity to be the boss, he was just in heaven. Well, here's what it turned into to happening. He thought that he was in charge He thought that he was the one that was able to determine the path and the things that happened and the ways that things were orchestrated. And so he got this thought in his mind, I could be in charge. I could do this. So he started to then approach my wife just on random situations and scenarios and challenge her with her authority. (laughs) And he would start asking my wife, just as a little reminder, he'd go, mommy, who's in charge again? She's like, daddy and I are in charge. Okay, okay. Mommy, who's in charge again? (laughs) Daddy and I are in charge. Now, here's what I feel like that God is saying in this, and I think this is very important for all of us, that we all have to be willing and ready in the moment, but we also have to recognize in our lives who's in charge. And the one who's in charge is the man upstairs. Jesus is in charge. He has saved us not just for heaven, but he has saved us so that we can have engagement with him on a daily basis. And he has saved us so that we can be available to him on a daily basis. And when we allow him to be the authority and to be in charge, and we don't challenge that authority and try to take something that's not rightfully ours, he will do miraculous things in your life. In fact, in Luke chapter 21, verses 14 through 15, he says this, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you would defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. When we're available to him, when we let him be the authority in our lives, when we let him be the one that's in charge, he says, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I know how to take care of you. And I will give you everything that you need when you walk in this way. 1 Peter 4.11, it's not in your notes, but I would write it down. It says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Here's the final word, and then we're gonna pray. 
The final word is this, he's in charge. Now it's up to us as his children to engage with the man in charge and to give him our lives, to be available. He's looking for people that are not just saying, oh, I'm gonna grab heaven. Heaven's mine, thank you, Jesus. He's looking for people who are willing and ready now to engage with him and be available to him. And if that is the church that he's called, then we can see the world around us change in ways that we could never even imagine. And that is the church that he's called us to be. Not Jubilee Fellowship Church. He has called us, every person in this room, to engage with him and to be available to him and to see the world around us change because of it. We think that's pretty cool. That's after Easter. That's the day we live in today. Yes, a couple thousand years removed, but I serve the same Jesus that's alive today, just as alive as he was back then. Let's see him move in our church. Let's see him move in our city. Let's see him move in our state. Let's see him move in our nation. And let's see it not because we're smarter or we know more, but let's see it because we are engaging and we're available to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we open our hearts and our lives to you, Lord God, and we say that we engage with you and we are available to you. Lord, even if it's just now the next 10 minutes, we engage with you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and fall down upon this place, that you would meet us here. And I thank you that your word is so clear to let us know that your heart and your desire is to meet with your children. And that you give us everything that we need, Lord God. You have given us power and authority beyond anything that we could ever grasp ourselves, but you've done it supernaturally, Lord God. And we make ourselves available to you to do whatever. Lord, would you change the world around us? Not by what we do or what we say, but by who you are. I pray that every one of us would just be the hands of the feet of Jesus. And that would not be a daunting task. It would not be something that we walk into fearfully, but that it would be something that would be so natural because of that overflow of love in our heart towards you, Lord God. Father, we give you our lives and we even take this moment right now to engage with you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Hey, would you stand to your feet? We're gonna enter into a time of worship where we can engage with Jesus. We have many response elements around this room. If you don't know what they are for any reason on your notes, at the very bottom of them, we have them all displayed for you so that you guys can choose. We don't want to direct you specifically to a place, but what we want to do is to say, engage. And then when you walk out of this place, be available to him. Let's engage.